0: Hey, welcome to Gospel Community Sermon Podcast. Thanks for listening in. We hope that uh, you enjoy what you hear and that we handle the word faithfully. We'd invite you, if you have any questions or want to attend a service, to visit www.gcctroy.com. Thank you so much, Ryan. Uh, It's a great lead-in this morning as Ryan's talking about, uh, you know, just... The way he's felt, the way a lot of us have felt, the way we have so many fortresses we want to build up around us that we want to uh, hide in, that we want to uh, put forward, that we want to so- find some kind of refuge and solace. And especially this year, 2020 has been a certainly an odd year, probably the weirdest one of my life, um, and it's something that we're all working through. And uh, I think. Uh, When we think of a fortress, we think of a place to hide, we think of a place of safety, and we all kind of are seeking that. I know from having conversations with guys here at church, it seems like a lot of us have dealt with this over the last four or five months, just um, being a bit withdrawn, uh, feeling a bit disappointed, feeling just uncertain, feeling like things are unstable, and not sh- quite sure where we lead our family next. And so if you've been feeling that way, I'm sure uh, you're in good company because I know I've felt that way myself. Um, so when we, when we stop and think about fortress, um, we can design all kinds of fortresses that we want to hide in. And uh, when I sit and think, like, I'm, I'm a history nerd, and you all know some weird, obscure history thing is about to come out of me, so here goes. It's August 9th. And I'm sure you're all thinking the same thing I'm thinking. It's the 46th anniversary of Richard Nixon resigning the presidency. There we go. So here's a guy, most powerful man in the world, leading the biggest economy in the world, the biggest army in the world, right? He just won re-election, and then he's resigning, right? He's built this whole fortress around himself. He's had these guys, um, they formed a committee known as CREEP, right? Committee to re-elect the president. And these guys thought that they were above the law. They did all kinds of dirty tricks, disrupting the Democrats' campaigns. And then finally, they broke in the office of the Democratic National Committee and got caught in the Watergate Hotel. That's where the term Watergate comes from, because this became the Watergate scandal. And Richard Nixon found out the next day about them getting caught, and he helped design a cover-up. And they spent the next two years talking through this cover-up and and trying to fool the press and all this. Well, uh, Richard Nixon liked to get one over on his enemies, and he recorded a lot of the tapes, a lot of things that went on in the Oval Office, and people found out about it, and these got subpoenaed, and all this started coming out. And all through the year 1974, this fortress he built around himself, feeling he was above the law, came crashing down. Uh, So on August 8th, He gave a speech and surprised everybody by announcing he was going to resign the presidency. And it was 46 years ago, literally to the hour, that his secretary of state came in, laid a sheet of paper in front of him with one sentence on it. I hereby resign the presidency of the United States. And he signed it, and he handed it back to his chief of staff. His secretary of state initialed it, put 1134 a.m. on it. And he went out to Air Force One, and he took off from Washington as president, and over Missouri, the designation of that that plane changed to Sam 2700, and he landed in California, a citizen, under indictment. Right? The whole fortress, this idea that even the most powerful man in the world could somehow hide in some fortress he built himself, came completely apart. And I think we're foolish to think that we can build a fortress we can hide in, outside of our Lord. And so we've been talking all summer about communion with God, and I think when we're hiding in a fortress, we're breaking that communion with God if we're not hiding in the fortress of our Lord, right? We've been talking about Him being our rock and security and stronghold, and uh, these psalms are great for understanding God because when you read through them, you see the psalmist who's going in and putting themselves in this position of crying out to the Lord, of being frightened, of being worried, of being overtaken by enemies, of hiding in a cave, of of uh, recognizing their sin and shame, yet crying out to God and saying, I am a sinner and I need you. Only you can do this. And ending with praise to say, the Lord is my rock. The Lord is my salvation. God is merciful. God is with us. I think it's good for us to read through the Psalms right now as we go through a time of uncertainty a time of worry a time of, of uncertainty, of not knowing where to go and what decisions to make and how to lead our household. It's important we dive into the Psalms. Psalm 46 is Martin Luther's favorite psalm, and so you're going to recognize the theme here. He began writing the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, on his way to the Diet of Worms where he was being indicted under the Catholic Church. And he began writing it based off this psalm. It said that he used to say, Come, let us sing the 46th psalm and let them do their worst. Right? He hid in God as his fortress proclaiming the Bible that he had studied over and above even the Catholic Church. It's important to recognize this psalm is not a psalm of our victory. It's a psalm of God's victory and his unmovable protection over us. And also we're going to go over this psalm is personified in Jesus Christ who became our victory. And so this psalm breaks down into three parts. So uh, God is sovereign over the nations, and there's a declaration of God in our appropriate response to him. So who God is and how we should respond, verses 1 through 3. And we see in, uh, secondly, God's provision for his people in verses 4 through 7, how he provides for us and he protects us, and we can hide in him. And third, it's a call to trust in God's victory, verses 8 through 11, that God will be victorious and we get to be victorious with Him because of His mercy. So I'm going to pray and we'll open up uh, the Bible and and begin study. Our Lord, we do thank You. God, we come to You by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, praying that we can see You as our fortress, that we can hide in You, that we can trust in Your promises and Your provision. And God, I pray you open our minds as we go through just a very odd time in our lives. God, that you help us to hide within you as our fortress. God, give us open ears and open hearts as we study this morning. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So when we begin reading, kind of this first third, verses 1 through 3, it says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved to the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. So we're going to look through this, and we're going to go through this psalm three times. And the first time, we're going to look at it through Old Testament eyes. We're going to try to see and understand how the people would have known this when it was written. And then secondly, we're going to go through the lifetime of Christ, and we're going to look at how people would have seen it in Christ's time, and how people should have seen it in Christ's time. We're going to talk about our time and how we should view this and how we should understand Psalm 46. So, as we go and look through Old Testament eyes, we stop and see the very first word, God. God is our refuge and strength. So, they're talking God the Father, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When they say his, he's our refuge and strength, they have seen his miracles. They have seen him protect them. They have seen, he, they've seen him discipline them back. When you say a very present help in times of trouble, right, God was very present with them. They, as they left Egypt, they built the Ark of the Covenant. They built this Ark, and God's glory was within this Ark, that anybody who even touched it incorrectly would die immediately. And this ark was carried with them and and handled in the tabernacle, and that's where the priests would go and intercede for the people, sacrifices would be done, and then later in the temple, when the temple was built and they carried the ark into the temple, God was with them to the point that even when he spoke directly to Israel, what did they do? They said, hide us, go talk to Moses again, right? It was fearful, it was frightening. He had made himself known very clearly them. He wasn't a distant God. He's not a deistic type of, of God where he just sort of designed this and wound the clock up and is now just sitting back and watching. Instead, he is here with us. He is there with them all the time, always a present help in times of trouble. And they had seen so many miracles through him. And all these times of trouble that they went through, they went through war when they had to take over the promised land, when God called them to go in and defeat the people who were there. He was with them through famine. Remember when Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery into Egypt, and yet even that evil act of them doing away with their brother and getting rid of him and lying to their father saying he'd been killed, God meant for good because he ended up in Egypt, and when the famine happened, Joseph's brothers and Joseph's family followed and came down there and ended up being reunited with him. And they were saved from the famine. And when that all went bad in Egypt, what happened? Right? God led them out of Egypt and was faithful to feed them in the desert with manna. We think of all the upheaval they had seen, like Korah's rebellion, the evil kings and priests. We think of uh, all the times when uh, the, the leaders of Israel led them astray and led them away from the Lord, yet he brought them back. It says, therefore, and of course, when we see therefore, we always think, okay, what came before and what comes after? because God is with them, a very present help in times of trouble. They do not have to have a fear. They don't have to have the anxiety and the worry when the earth gives away. We think of the earth giving away. We think of this, through the, though the mountains be moved to the heart of the sea. And what do we think of when we think of mountains, right? Ryan showed us some pictures of mountains, and we think of things that are stable. They're big. They're immovable. They're like more than we can fathom, right? You can't… Uh, You know, up until earth-moving equipment could start cutting down a mountain down in Appalachia to dig coal, we didn't think of a mountain as movable, right, permanent. We also think of a mountain, right, a mountain range can be a barrier to enemies. When you look at the map and you look at how the countries are laid out, a lot of times where there's a mountain range, there's a border, right, because it's a barrier to our enemies. So they protect us. Uh, Mountains also provide for us, right? There's a lot of communities and farming areas and stuff that rely on the snow melt every year to come down that mountain and irrigate fields and and keep the streams flowing and have water. We think of inspiration, right? We see these kinds of photos like like Ryan put up here, and it's inspiring. It's awe-inspiring to stop and see God's creation. So he's saying these mountains, these things we depend on, these things that are immovable and permanent, being thrown into the heart of the sea… So, when you stop and think through Old Testament eyes, or even eyes from 150 years ago, right, the sea was this unknowable, deep, unfathomable thing, right? Back then, nobody went more than 10 or 15 feet below the surface of the water. They were limited by how far down they could swim and back up. It was a frightening place to be in the sea. It's unstable. It's places where there's storms, there's waves, there's churning. And so, when we see these mountains, all that we depend on, thrown in the sea all that they were fearful of, right? So the stability turns to instability, right? The permanence becomes temporary. The safety becomes fear. And it's saying, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So it's saying we will not fear though the earth gives way. So here, when all they depend on comes apart, they still should not have fear. We think, you know, Israel was promised peace by God, yet they consistently created their own trouble They're in verse 1, right? They were always walking away, looking to be more like the people of the world, right? We think of uh, 1 Samuel 8 when they called out and said, we want a king. We want a king to lead us, just like all these other nations. And even though they were being told by Samuel, no, a king is going to tax you, he's going to take your sons, he's going to take your cattle, he's going to take your land and tax you. And they said, sign us up, we'll do it. Right? Going against God, and God even told Samuel, they're not rejecting you, Samuel, they're rejecting me. Right? They brought this, their own trouble, and the sin nature kept them wanting to be more like the world than to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the promises that he put in there. So a declaration of who God is, our refuge and strength in times of trouble. Our response should be to not have Fear. And for the Israelites, they struggled with that fear. But God provides for his people. Here in the second part, God's provision for his people. says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage and kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts." The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. So through Old Testament eyes, we think, you know, there's this river Kidron. And the river Kidron flows next to Jerusalem. And there's these streams underneath, the streams of Gion, that um, they have an intricate water system built in, right, where they have cut even down through the rock and tunneled through cracks in the rock to guide water to different places, right? These streams are very different from the, the sea that we just talked about, right, the sea of instability and unfathomable fear and churning and storms, but here this river is peaceful. And they recognize this. He streams again where they've, they've created pools, they've created aqueducts, they've created channels through the rock that they have a provision of water in times of trouble. Right? If they're under attack, they're not, they're not going thirsty. They have all these things that are providing for them. They would recognize what that meant in the city of God, Jerusalem, Right? It says, again, that it's a holy habitation of the Most High. We know that God has dwelled in that Ark of the Covenant, which is in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. Jerusalem is the holy city of God, and they would read it as such. It says, God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. So how is it we can stop and look? How would the Israelites look at this and say, she shall not be moved? Right? They had been under attack. They had run from enemies before. They split their kingdom. They later went into exile. So how do we stop and look and say, hey, they will not be moved? The key thing here is to recognize that God always kept a faithful remnant. Even when Israel was going away from from what God wanted, he always kept a faithful remnant. And this faithful remnant... um, even called out numerous times. We stop and think of the minor prophets and, and the major prophets, Ezekiel and all them, and calling Israel back, saying, don't go away, come back. Come back to the Lord, he'll be merciful. But God is judging us for what we've done, right? There were always people saying this. And God always went through and restored them again, even when they didn't want him to. It says God will help her when morning dawns. What do we think of with morning dawns, right? It's the start of work, And it's a time when battles would resume. Like, you might have had a small respite during a war at night when people needed sleep and when everybody backed off when they couldn't see. But what happened in the morning, right? These battles started up again. The work starts up again. I think we feel that every day going to work, right? Groundhog Day sometimes. It's We're up and going again. The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. You know, Israel always faced threats of war, by kingdoms with false gods. The kingdoms totter. You know, think the Israelites splitting, going into exile to Babylon, conquered by the Assyrians and Babylonians. But he utters his voice and the earth melts, right? God performs miracles before his people. You stop and think, you know, were there times when the earth literally melted? Well, I mean, we had obviously, uh, you know, the flood with Noah, right? Sodom and Gomorrah rained down fire, think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We think of Daniel, times when Daniel should have died in the lion's den. They should have burned up in the fiery furnace. There's these times where God overcame this natural world we live in and overcame the evil being done to his people in a miraculous way that no man could ever do. And what should they say? Verse 7, "'The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress.'" These times of troubles, these times when we struggle to trust, we need to stop and remember that God is always with us. And they needed to remember that God was always with them. And that's what he restored them with, these reminders, these prophets, these times when they go back into the book and understand what God has done. God was always with them, even in exile, even when he disciplined them back, even when they walked away, even when they did not want him there, God never left them. So they are called to trust in God's victory. It says, Come behold the works of the Lord, verse 8, and he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. So, come behold the works of the Lord. These are action verbs, right? It's not a passive thing. It's saying, come and look at your history, Israel. Come and look at what God has done. Not Israel's works, but what God has done. You stop and think about Israel's works and you think of Solomon, right? The most proud man, the, the guy who had done so much, the, what was considered the wisest king they had And he worked and he made vineyards and he conquered cities and he raised flocks and the people were prosperous. And he wrote the entire book of Ecclesiastes to say, that's all meaningless. Right? This entire book, he looked at the works of his hands and said, it's meaningless. But if we come and look at the works of the Lord, if they look at the miracles that God did in their history… They're going to see something that's not meaningless. They're going to stop and see how God can bring desolation on the earth, right? The flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, the defeat over the Egyptians, the defeat of the peoples in the promised land, the freedom they got from Babylon. And he makes wars cease, right? In God's mercy, he can make a victor, right? He can overcome those who attack. He can, he can stop it when he wants, To the end of the earth, again, going out there, it's not just for Israel. It's not just for any one little kingdom, but to the ends of the earth, he breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the chariots with fire. He brings peace and destroys the tools of war in total victory. And how do we respond to that? How does Israel respond to that? To be still and know that I am God, right? To be a student of his word, to be a student of his promises, it says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It calls back to Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, where it says, in you, meaning Abraham, all families of the earth will be blessed. So again, there's this promise that it's not just their little kingdom, but to all the ends of the earth would be blessed through the seed of Abraham. And they need to stop and go back and be reminded of that, just as we need to stop and go back and be reminded of that. That God will eventually conquer the whole earth in His way, how He wants to do it. We have His promises. And all they can say is, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. They should look upon the works of God and know He's faithful. He's proven His faithfulness to them time and again. When we stop and we look at this psalm through the eyes of those in Christ's time, and we think about how they could have seen it and read it, right? So a declaration of who God is and the appropriate response, you know, this very psalm is Jesus uh, is, is wrapped up in Christ. He personifies this. So when we say God is our refuge and strength, if we read that and say Jesus is our refuge and strength, Jesus is where we trust and put our faith. And what about the strength, right? To those who are Israelites, they would look and say, strength meaning we can conquer and we can overcome, we can protect ourselves. But in Christ's time, did they have the strength to do so? You know, Jesus Christ obeyed in our place. He obeyed the law. He had the strength to do it, what we could not do. And here He is, ready to impute this righteousness upon those who believe. You think about Him being a very present help in times of trouble, you know, Matthew 1 Uh, Gives the name Emmanuel, God with us. But the trouble he's here for isn't this geopolitical action that the Israelites would have read this psalm for. He's here for the trouble of our sin. And he's here to be that very present help in times of trouble, to die on the cross for our sin. And it says, Therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved to the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar in foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. Look there in verse 2. Therefore, it's because Christ is with us, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains, right, all that, is, the, all that the Israelites were trusting in in Christ's time be moved into the heart of the sea, this field of uncertainty, this place of churning and storms, what were they trusting and what were their mountains, so to speak, and their mountains were law and power, right? They were fearful of, of domination by the Romans, the Pharisees, the kingdom. These are what they were preoccupied with. And even the very people that traveled with Jesus, even His disciples would say, are you going to restore the kingdom? Are you going to kick out the Romans, Right? That was what they were worried about. They were, they were worried about their own ability to follow the law and kicking out the Romans and that heart of the sea. You stop and think about the Romans. That, that was very much an uncertainty to them and a fear to them because the Romans had an absolute power that they could have taken any time and, and abused Israel with and often did. And they didn't know where the Roman, uh, the Roman domination was going to lead them. And so though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. So though the Romans are there conquering and dominating, and the mountains, all they trusted in, right, the Pharisees and the law trembled. Right, We see the Pharisees and Sadducees who kind of took this secondary place and were willing to do the Romans' bidding at times in order to stay in power. When we turn and we look, and we see, we go from this declaration to see God's provision for His people. Therefore, a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. So this river whose streams make glad the city of God, this is Jesus Christ Himself. If we stop and look at John chapter 4… You'll turn with me to John chapter 4 and what he says to the Samaritan woman at uh, at the well, John 4. To the Samaritan woman, Jesus answered her, we're in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well to drink and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come here to draw water. Right? This water is Jesus himself and the spirit that he promises, and we know it's the Holy Spirit because John 7, if you turn to John 7 and verse 37, Jesus talks of this living water. John 7, starting in 37, it says, On the last day of the feast, a great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So these streams of living water to make glad Jerusalem, the city of God, is right there wrapped up in Christ, and he's promising it to them, his teachings, his miracles, what he's saying. All of these things are what they should trust in. The way they trusted in the water that supplied them, even in times of war, they should be trusting in Christ to supply them. He is the holy habitation of the Most High. In human flesh, God came down and was with us. And God is in the midst of her, right? Jesus was among the people of Jerusalem, speaking, preaching, teaching, doing miracles. He had done everything he, he wanted to do to prove He was God, and He calls them to faith in it. She shall not be moved. We stop and think of John 10 where He says, you know, the, no one will snatch His people out of His Father's hand. Right? We're not going to be removed by anything of this world. If God has placed us in his hand, we are there. And it is solid, and it is promised, and it will be done. And we will not be moved. And God will help her when morning dawns. Stop and think about this. Birth of a church through the disciples. When the work began of building the church, first through Jesus and then through Peter and Paul and John and James and all the disciples who went out, Right? The work was beginning, and he's going to sustain us in that work. And you think the nations rage back in their time, right? Israel is raging against his teaching. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are declaring him a heretic. They're declaring him uh, a false uh, teacher. They're declaring him uh, anathema almost to this point where they, they are saying that his teaching is false and he is blasphemous. The Romans raged against him because he was disruptive. Right? He was disturbing the peace. He was upsetting the Jews, and they didn't want to deal with it. And they also turned and said, wait a minute, why would you call yourself king of the Jews? Why don't you give that glory and honor to the emperor? And I don't know how much more they can rage than a crucifixion, as both sides called for it. We think of the kingdoms tottering, right? And the, the disciples had this obsession, and the, the Israeli people had this obsession with when they could throw off the yoke of Roman slavery and reestablish the kingdom, not understanding that that's exactly what Christ was doing, but just in a very different way. You know, he utters his voice, and the earth melts, right? The words of Christ can defeat all. They should be proclaiming, Jesus is with us. They say, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob, our fortress. Jesus is with us, right? Peter confessed it, the disciples followed, So there was this remnant, just as God had always preserved this remnant through Israel's history of believing people. Here we have these disciples and these people who are around the disciples and the apostles who later take these testimonies and take it out to the world. This last part here, when we look at this call to trust in God's victory. Come and behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. So this call to come and behold the works of the Lord, Jesus is calling people to them, to be his students, to see his work. We think of his atoning work that they saw in his death on the cross. We think of the miracles and the proofs that he gave. But the desolation he brought on the earth was the defeat of sin and death. When he rose from the grave, he defeated the very physical nature of death. And he makes wars cease to the end of the earth, right? He's fighting sin out to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the chariots with fire, right? His very overcoming of the tomb, of coming back, being raised from the dead was more powerful than the tools of crucifixion that warred against him and his word, and warred against his message and tried to silence him and halt him and stop him. His words are more powerful. Be still and know that I am God. We are to be a student and understand this. To study his word and know this history, we stake our entire Christian faith on a truth claim that he rose from the dead. And it's up to us to be in the Word and understand what that means, and to be able to go in times of trouble and recount the promises God has fulfilled and the promises He has yet to fulfill, and to know that He is faithful to do so. We think about, you know, when Mary and Martha were busy in the, you know, were invited Jesus in their home, and Martha's busy cooking and preparing and and putting together this feast, and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha says, why don't you rebuke her and make her help me? And he says, Mary chose the good portion. We're to be a student, We're to know and understand the Word of God. We think about Him being exalted among the nations, how Christ will be exalted in the earth, right? God will accomplish His will and be glorified. In Matthew 28, we think of the Great Commission, out to the ends of the earth, right? If you look at Matthew 28, He says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. He will be exalted among the nations, exalted in all the earth. As we carry his message forward, preaching Christ, preaching salvation through trusting in him by grace through faith that we can confess and repent, God will accomplish this And what do we say to this? The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Jesus came and walked on the earth, a man, just like like us in flesh, but as God being merciful and showing himself to us. So how do we in our time take this psalm? How do we walk back through this and understand it in our time? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Folks, the Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit moves us to confession and repentance. The Holy Spirit dwells in us and sanctifies us to be more Christ-like. The Holy Spirit is our very present help in times of trouble. He abides with us, and He moves us, and he, He changes our minds, and He converts our hearts. When we think of trouble, the Holy Spirit helps us both in our sin by leading us to Christ and in our struggles to have wisdom and discernment and use our spiritual gifts to serve our Lord whether it's discernment or teaching or hospitality or whatever our gifts are, God gives us those gifts that we may use them in times of trouble, that we may use them to lead people to Christ. And we're not going to fear when the earth gives way, when those mountains we trust in, think of the mountains we trust in, right? Our job, our 401K, right? Our family, and the perfect pictures we try to get on Facebook, right? And all these things we want to trust in, the image we want to build of ourselves, a reputation or a, or a, a goal that we have, a career. We trust all these mountains, and they can be any time, at any time, thrown in the heart of the sea into turmoil. We've been seeing it on a small scale this year. A lot of our plans have changed. The way we plan this year to go is not how it's going. It's uncertain, and it's unstable, and it's disquieting, and it's disheartening, and it's disappointing. We see the things we trust being moved into the heart of the sea. Now, I stop and think, you know, I think it's kind of by God's grace that I've read a couple biographies recently of people who went through way worse than what we're dealing with. I read a biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, right, who was faithful to stand up to the, the state church in Germany against Adolf Hitler. And the state church was moving things and changing theology to be accommodating to Hitler, And he fought against it, and to the point where he struggled very much with whether or not he should actually take part in a resistance against Hitler, whether he should take up arms or take up plans, and eventually he did. And he was arrested, and he spent time in a Nazi prison camp, and just a few weeks before the United States Army liberated that camp, he was hanged. Hung, hanged. I think it's hanged. All right. I got a couple nods, so I think it's hanged. All right. But he, he gave his very life, right, to stand true on doctrine and theology that was accurate and not to be accommodating to the, the nature of the times. And folks, we haven't been called to that yet. We don't know if we will. But if that time comes for us, are we ready to stand on truth? When the waters roar and foam, even in the small ways we're seeing now, I know um, where I work a lot of people have lost their job in the last few weeks. You know, when our family gets sick, when our money runs out, when we struggle with, with uh, not knowing where our, our next provisions will come from, when we don't know if we're going to be healthy or not, we don't know if COVID's going to be a minor cold if we catch it, or if it's going to take us out. We don't know. And we need to be comfortable with that instability and understanding that we should not have this fear when the earth gives way. Right, and we have a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Who is the city of God? Right, that's us, the church. Those who are called, those who are are uh, brought in to God's uh, God's family. And Hebrews eleven and thirteen talks about God's preparing a city for His people, in new Jerusalem. Our hope is in this promise of heaven that He is building for us. In Revelation twenty-one twelve, we understand it's the church. church is called to put our faith in Christ so we be part of this new Jerusalem, the holy habitation of the Most High, that the Holy Spirit resides in us. God is in the midst of her. The Spirit dwells with us in this congregation and in our hearts. We shall not be moved. If, we can be, if God is for us, who could be against us? Just as God preserved a faithful remnant of Israel and a faithful remnant who followed Christ in his time... God preserves a faithful remnant in our time. And we see turmoil even amongst churches. And we stop and we look and we see churches that are changing their theological positions to be accommodating to the culture. And we see churches that are fighting against that and trying to stand on good theology. And it's not just any certain denomination. Even within denominations, there's this fight, this tension being, being pulled in both directions But God will preserve a faithful remnant that keeps teaching His grace and His mercy. And God will help her when morning dawns. He will continue that work day after day. His mercies are new that we can walk in them, that He has designed our good works so we can walk in them. We should not grow weary or have fear in it. As we see the nation's rage and the kingdom's totter, we need to understand that He can utter His voice and this earth could melt. We stand here and we we watch the nation's rage and kingdoms totter, right? We see uh, Bolsheviks destroying our cities. We see people who are uh, fighting against police. We see um, different countries who are taking advantage of the turmoil and being bad actors around the world. We see civil liberties being changed. We see kingdoms tottering. But through persecution or fear or anger or slander, God is our fortress. Through an election year of complete sanity, God is our fortress. Our job, our money, our career, our politics, our family, all these things are changing in different ways that we don't fully understand and we don't know where they're going. But the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And we need that on our lips every day to praise God that He is with us. Whether or not election goes our way or our 401K is growing or shrinking, God is with us. This last part here in verse 8, Come to hold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Are we coming to the Lord and beholding his works? Are we trusting in his promises? Are we trusting in what he's given us? We need to be in our Bibles and know the promises he's made and the promises he's already fulfilled that we can continue trusting in him. And we know that, that someday we'll have a new heaven and new earth. And he will make wars to cease. There's a point in the future where we will have peace. We will be at peace And we think about all the different social movements, all the different uh, movements that are going on where people are signing up, people are taking action, people are protesting. And what do they want? They want peace. They want justice. They want mercy. And some of them want power, right? We want the peace and justice and mercy. But we're not going to find it here in this world, no matter what social movement we join because there's always going to be turmoil. And on the flip side of a lot of those things that are uh, on the surface going out for good, for peace and mercy and justice, there's this flip side that they bring where they want power and they want control and they want domination. But God will break the bow and shatter the spear and burn the chariots of fire. Whatever peace and justice and mercy we think we comprehend, we only know it through Christ. And we're only going to find it when we have a new heaven and new earth, that's, that's when true peace will be here. And we need to be still and know that He is God. We need to be a student. We need to study it. We need to put away our anxiety and our turmoil and take spiritual rest in the understanding that God is in control. Now, being a student doesn't mean being passive. You know, please vote. You know, please plan. Please take part in things that are holy and true and honorable. We should be active in sending out the gospel in all that we do, taking it to our workplace, our neighborhood, our family. We're not called to passivity. Being a student doesn't mean passivity, but it means putting the right things in the right place and knowing what is right and true and honorable and putting it at the forefront of all that we do in our vocation. How will our God be exalted among the nations and exalted in the earth? By us proclaiming his word. And are we putting that over and above the worries and the turmoils of the world, the mountains that are being thrown into the sea, are we putting God as our fortress and His truth above our worries and fears and anxieties? I know for me, like as a confession, I've spent the last four or five months being more inwardly focused and more broody and more frustrating to my wife than I was before. Because I'm sitting and I'm thinking, how do I I plan? How do I lead my family through this? What's going to come next? What are we going to do? How are we going to plan this? How how stable is my job? You know, should I pull money out of my funds and and put it somewhere else? You know, what what do I do? I churn on this. And I know from talking to a lot of you guys, you're churning on this as well. And it's not that we shouldn't think about these things, but if it's overcoming Our trust in the Lord, if it's coming before resting in Him, if it's coming before teaching our our wives, our children, our families about the Word of God and leading them through devotions and leading them through this and helping them to know and trust that God is their rock and their anchor, then it's an idol for us. It's an idol. We need to be proclaiming God's Word to that neighbor who put the opposite political sign in their yard. We need to preach God's word to people at our company who maybe don't agree with us on social issues. We need to take God's mercy and grace and goodness to those people that frustrate us the most and stand on it and have that courage and that boldness to carry it forward. Verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Say that with me, everybody. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress over and above anything else we could carry in our hands or trust in in this world. I'm going to pray, and we'll have a benediction after. Our Heavenly Father, I do thank you that you bring this forward. Lord, that you show us Psalm 46, that you are our fortress, that we can trust in you, that the politics and the economics and the worries of this world and the social movements and, and, and just the things we see that are just so frustrating, God, we can hide in you and we can know that you are in control of it, Lord, that nothing is escaping your attention and that these things unfold on a long timeline that we may not always understand. God, give us peace in our hearts that we don't brew, that we don't worry, that we don't have anxiety and fear, but instead to know and trust that you are in control. God, be with us as we go out in a busy week, and God, I pray that you give us peace in our homes, peace with our neighbors, peace in our community, peace in our workplaces. Thank you in Christ's name, amen.